I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I've got a dice tower behind me and I give you three rolls on the tower and whatever questions I roll for you, that's where we start. Cool. This one's roll swap. If you had the opportunity to swap roles with any Hunger Games actor in any of the films, who would you choose and why? Ooh, ooh, that's hard. Because I want to say Elizabeth Banks <clears throat> as Effie, but I also don't want to spend so much time in the chair every day. Because that's hard. So I'm going to go with um, Lenny Kravitz as Cinna. Because I still get to be fabulous, but I don't think I have to spend four or five hours in the makeup chair. I'm just really impressed by how well thought out that answer was. <laughs> It's just, I, I remember watching Hunter and Tom, and I also had a wig every day on Hunger Games, so it took me a little bit longer to get ready, but never as long as it took Hunter, and she's so beautiful and fabulous in this movie, and, the, and she had to bleach her eyebrows and do all the things, and I was like, good God be with you, but couldn't be me. <laughs> Here is an acting specific question for you. This is called favorite, least favorite. What is your absolute favorite part of the acting process? Like things like putting your costume on for the first time, stepping on set, rehearsing. But then I also kind of want the opposite, not necessarily your least favorite, but a part of the process where you still see room to grow for yourself and you're eager to tackle that. Yeah. Oh, well, I think my favorite is meeting my crew that you're going to kind of go on this journey with for the next couple months, depending on what film you're on could be weeks, could be months. Um, they become kind of the closest people in your time on a project. Um, I have a really wonderful A camera operator that I met on Hunger Games that I adore, Dave Thompson, who, you know, all of my A camera operators kind of become my best friends because they're your allies on set. And uh, therefore it's just kind of like, th that's my favorite part is getting to meet those people and get to know their stories and where they come from, their families, why they do this, do they like it? And I, I have I have a really good time with them. With least favorite, honestly, it's like on Hunger Games, I had to be very, very sweaty and dirty. And I I am not good at the te like texture stuff on my hands, on my face. And I can get very, I feel very bratty about it where I'm like during lunch, like secretly washing my hands and like <laughs> secretly getting dirt off. There's definitely room to grow in that, in that department, I feel. 
You're talking to a germaphobe who's a little OCD. I very much understand that. I understand, yeah. This is my would you rather question. I feel like I might know this answer based on your last one. Would you rather have to fake sneeze or fake vomit in a scene? Oh, fake sneeze. Fake sneeze all the way. Oh my gosh. I ooh, I, I think about the, the fake vomit scenes and you know how they're done with like the tube or you have to hold something in your mouth for a long time. Absolutely not. Bless everyone who's able to do it. I can't, couldn't be me. The only follow-up question to that though is, yeah. can you do a convincing fake sneeze? Because again, gross out things, I can't handle them, but yeah. being able to do a, a real fake sneeze feels so hard to me. I want to say I, I've never tried, but. Oh, wow. That's. That goes, that goes into the top tier of uh, fake sneezes I've heard on Ladies Night. I'm very impressed. I'm not as far along with like Anya Taylor-Joy being able to like time out her nosebleeds, but oh, we're there. That's a thing? Oh, in the movie Emma, she has this, the scene with, uh, it's been, he says, you know, if I loved you more, I may be, uh, if I loved you less, I may be able to talk about it more. She looks up at him and she has this one stream of blood come down. She gets a lot of nosebleeds. And she was able to, to say like, oh, it's coming, roll, roll the cameras, and then got the perfect, she's a pro, I can't do that. <laughs> my God. All right, I'm gonna add one more follow-up question. What What is the most difficult, like seemingly silly, mundane, everyday thing to do when you're acting? Like things like fake driving or like pretending to wake up. <laughs> Oh, well, I did have to pretend to wake up in, in West Side Story, and that was a fun experience because none of us are really pretty wake-uppers. Um, and I had to pretend to be, which was which was very fun. I say like the most mundane, I've, it's actually like being in the car, not necessarily driving, but in a, in a movie I did for A24 called Y2K, there was a scene where I had to be in the passenger seat. And it was just, I didn't have to say anything in the scene. And you just kind of like, what do I do in the, do I look around? Am I, do I ever move my head? You just start overanalyzing what you do. I have no idea what I do in the car, but in, yeah, it was just kind of like, do I, I'm a, I'm a passenger driver as well. Cause I, I'm a very careful driver. So a lot of the times I'm like, I find myself looking at the crosswalk and being like, so that's what I did, but it is, it's a very weird feeling for sure. Hello everyone, welcome back for a new edition of Collider Ladies Night. This is a guest that I've been eager to have on the show since West Side Story, but now especially because I am a massive Hunger Games fan and I'm so excited about how damn good The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes is. Rachel Zagler, welcome to Ladies Night and huge congratulations. Thank you, thank you so much for having me, I'm so excited. What was the performance you saw, the movie you watched, personal experience you had, you name it, that first made you say to yourself, I have to be an actor? You know, I, I fell in love with the idea of performing uh, because I lived in New Jersey growing up and, and came to see Broadway shows all the time. Um, I saw uh, a woman named Ashley Brown in Beauty and the Beast on Broadway as Belle, and I wanted to be in musical theater. Um, I just fell in love with the idea of performing live and the big, beautiful costumes and everything in between. I loved it. I will say movie-wise, I think it was probably Oscar Isaac in Inside Lewin Davis. I think I was like 13 years old when I saw that, which is way too young to see 
inside the Davis, or at least too young to understand it fully. Um, but it was seeing a Latino in a space where being a Latino was not the basis of his character. He just kind of got to exist and he got to give a brilliant performance and he got to check off all the boxes of the things that he's amazing at because he's an amazing musician, an amazing singer, an amazing actor, funny and uh, self-deprecating and amazing. And I just, I just remember looking at it and watching it and being like, I want to do that. I definitely can understand that. That right there is one of my favorite Coen Brothers movies. And also, I think one of the most underrated. I don't think anybody talks about that movie nearly enough. It doesn't top people's lists very often. I remember Tom, my co-star in Hunger Games, like it's part of his like letterbox top four. And I was like, you're the only other person I've met who names that when somebody asks what your top four films of all time are. And that's my number one. So it was it was like a it was like a kismet thing for me. Good taste right there. I appreciate it. So you decide you want to be an actor. At the time, what did you think was step one to becoming a professional actor? And now that you've done it, would you recommend that first step to an aspiring actor? Or did you find something more effective along the way? I've I fell into this industry by accident. So I don't think anything I did should be replicated unless what you're replicating is the fact that I tried. Um, you'll never regret trying. The worst they could say is no, and then you try again. Um, but you know, when I decided I wanted to be an actor, since I wanted to be in musical theater, I was just like, I'm going to start doing community productions. And I was 12 years old and did Fiddler on the Roof in my town where I grew up. And, uh, and that kind of just kind of started it for me. I just kept doing community theater productions and high school theater productions. And it was when I was in high school, I was 16 years old when I auditioned for West Side Story. So from 12 to 16, it was like the only time I was doing like amateur theater and wedding singing to make money on the weekends. And then all of a sudden it was, I was up for this huge Steven Spielberg movie and a year later booked it. So my advice is to try, but also just to learn by experience. You don't have to pay a million dollars to get training. I feel like sometimes it, it really robs these young aspiring actors blind because they make a lot of empty promises, where in reality you can learn from the experience of really working with others and, and learning by uh, examples that you see. Um, that's how I learned, and, and I don't regret a second of it. It's so true. Trying sounds so just like so simple, but that that really is probably one of the best first steps to take. Well, I mean, I, you know, I was one of 30,000 girls who sent in a tape for for West Side Story and I got it. And all I did was send in a like unlisted YouTube video link to a random email address and it got seen. So it, it sounds like a fake story written in a tabloid, but it really is exactly what happened. So to build on the idea of learning by experience, I love asking this question. What is a seemingly silly question about the way that movies are made that you were afraid to ask on the West Side Story set that you would encourage more new actors to have the courage to ask? You should, okay, so it sounds really silly, but you should ask where, like, what can you see? It's just a, this is a this is a, uh, a a question I ask really my my a camera operators but also your focus operators are your best friends on set. Um, <clears throat> I remember on on Snow White I had a a, a focus operator named Ollie, so awesome, and it's a it's it was a very it was my first like number one on the call sheet. It was a very like 
crazy experience for me being on set every day, working all day, every day, doing everything. So a lot of it was, I, I know how to give you the take that you want. I think at least you got to go in with that confidence. Um, but I got to know what the camera is actually looking at because you, you know, is it further away? Do I have to do more on my face? You have to imagine that your face is going to be blown up on a big screen that people are going to be sitting in the front row for. Um, on West Side Story, it was it was uh, something that I didn't really know to ask yet. And also, I was not experienced in screen acting at all. So even just the micro movement of an eyebrow is a gigantic expression when you're thinking about it on an IMAX screen. So I really had to learn how to control my face in a way. I had Janine Tesori, a beloved Broadway composer, a dear friend of mine who was uh, our vocal producer on West Side Story, come up and like hold my eyebrows down while I sang so that I could learn to just keep it all. You're used to being on stage, you're playing to the last row. And all of a sudden it's completely, the dynamic has completely shifted. And I, I, I had a really hard time. It was a really hard thing where I felt like I had bit off more than I could chew and that they'd made the wrong decision because I didn't know how to do that. And I was surrounded by people who seemed to find it very easy and I didn't find it very easy. So ask what you can see. Where is, where's the camera? Is it a cowboy? Is it a, is it a dirty single? What, what are we doing? And then, uh, and then adjust accordingly. It's a good, a good tip right there. I love how you say, like, I don't know if I like felt like I was worthy of being there. And then look what happened with that movie and look how people responded to that performance. So the next stage of that, and here's another question I always love asking. I love asking actors about the reality of breaking out in Hollywood because <laughs> the way we see it can be completely different than what you feel. So yeah. what would you say is one misconception about having your breakout role? But then I want the opposite, something that West Side Story did that you could feel changing things for the better for you yeah i mean it was it was a confidence thing for sure um because we made west side story and then the pandemic hit which meant nobody was working um and unbeknownst to the myself and the rest of the cast the studio had been planning to push it because of the pandemic which made perfect sense i mean it had no real chance of kind of even breaking through the zeitgeist of conversation um without a proper press tour and a release that people would go to see in theaters. So um, we were all kind of waiting on bated breath for a trailer or first look images, anything, because our careers kind of relied on the release of something else. Something needs to come out. We need to, you know, see something. Because I wasn't booking roles solely because they hadn't seen West Side Story yet. There was no clips. We couldn't hear anything, couldn't hear her sing, couldn't see her act. Does she dance? What does she look like on camera? Like all of these things are taken into consideration by producers and directors and any kind of filmmaker when they're planning their next project. So I have these amazing agents that are rallying for me in these casting rooms and saying, well, you need, she's Spielberg's next ingenue. And they say, well, we haven't seen anything. Why would we, so you could tape all you want, but the reality is they, they want to see what your dynamic actually is at the end of the day. That was really hard um, for all of us. That That is not a singular experience for myself. For any new actor that was kind of coming onto the scene at that point, it, it, it really uh, shifted things because we had this um, preconceived notion that the making it in Hollywood came immediately after wrapping your first movie. And uh, it's got to come out. It's got to come out. And even then, 
the pandemic was still going on. We had the Omicron variant. People did not show up in the theaters. Uh, I was making Snow White in London and it hadn't really made a peep over there. And then all of a sudden it dropped on streaming and I couldn't leave my apartment without getting stopped. Um, and, and it was a, it was a confidence boost. It was a transition of how I am in public, um, understanding where I can, cannot go without being photographed and everything like that. Cause tabloid culture in, in London is a lot different than it is here in the U S. Um, but it definitely, I, I never, I don't think any lesson is a negative lesson. So I, I find it all very positive. Um, it, but it was a, it was, it's a transition for real. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's quite the whirlwind. I guess the the next stage of that process is figuring out what the next thing to do after your breakout role. I'm not sure of the, the shooting order with everything, but I'll use it with West Side Story and Hunger Games in particular. What was it about Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes and the role of Lucy Gray that one would help you evolve your craft in a way that you wanted, but also like, do that thing where you're showing the industry the version of you you want to and what you're capable of. Yeah, I kind of viewed Lucy Gray in a way. It's not the same it, probably to the general public, but to me it was my Lewin Davis where I was like, I get to check the boxes of all the things I know I can do and also stretch myself into this version of an actor that I never thought I could be with all the action stuff. That, that I really didn't think I could do. On Shazam, I didn't have to do any of the action bits. I had a stunt double who did my one stunt in the whole movie. They wouldn't let me go near it. They wouldn't even let me try. And they they were like, you're out of here. So uh, with Lucy Gray, it was one of those things where I, I watched her conception in the public. Like I was there when the book was released. I was waiting for that book to come out and was so excited. I had no idea what it was going to be about. And when I read it, it just felt like this is the thing. Um, I grew up watching Jennifer Lawrence do everything that she is amazing at. She was funny. She was endearing. She was tough. She was an action star. And watching her do it like it was nothing um, in those original films. And so I was reading this book being like, this would be the opportunity of a lifetime and, and it was, it wasn't necessarily a step up or outdoing myself in West Side Story, but showing the public that I could do more. Um, it's stretching a different instrument vocally, testing my limits in the action world, but 
but also like emotionally, she's a bit, you know, she's a little mercurial, a little bit crazy. And also um, you can't tell what her motives are. So she's got this while in her eye that I was so excited about. And, uh, and once I met Francis, our director, I just kind of knew it was, it was going to be something really special. I don't know if there's a specific answer to this question, but because you just brought up her her personality and also because the second I finished reading the book, I'm like, oh my, whoever gets cast in this role, this is going to be the most difficult thing to do. Being able to capture that like bubbly spirit and the fact that she's just like a ray of light, but also do it in a way where you're sure that I guess it never comes across as false and never mm. undermines the severity of the situation that she's in. Yeah. I, I just wanted people to miss her when she was off screen. That was like the thing that I wanted to capture the most um, because I would miss her when I was, when she wasn't on the page. And so I, I just remember thinking like, this is how people felt probably watching her trajectory in the hunger games where they were probably in the Capitol, all cozy watching television. And every time she wasn't in the news, they'd be like, it's boring news day. Um, so I just, I don't know that that became something that was also really lovely to hear from people when they were first giving their, you know, first social media reactions to the movie. And when they were like, you just, you miss her when she's off screen. It, it's, it's such a, an accomplishment to me. Um, and, and the biggest compliment you could pay me because that was the, that was my uh, approach to her was you're going to miss her when she's gone, both in a, in a literal sense <laughs> And also in a figurative sense, because she she haunts Coriolanus for the rest of time. Like, what kind of person do you have to be to screw him up for that long? Oh, what a perfect way to put it. I feel like that probably also applies to, I mean, really any character, no matter the size of a role in a movie. I feel like maybe the goal should always be like you want to miss them when they're not on screen or, or even just feel their presence when they're not on screen. Yeah. Yeah, oh, I love exactly. that. So you brought up uh, this stretching, uh, stretching you as far as the action goes. So I want to go to a, a very specific scene for that, because with Hunger Games, Catching Fire and now with Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, I'm just totally obsessed with how they visualize the start of the games. They just yes. all have their own specific feels and they're so yes. frenetic. I love it. Can you kind of walk us through, you know, the blocking, the stunts, how you adapted to the camera moves required for that particular scene? Yeah, I mean, I had been in in London until the very tail end of a production and moved to Poland the next day. And that next day we shot the bloodbath. So the rest of my castmates had about four to six weeks of stunt choreography and training that I simply did not have. As an actor, it is both terrifying and wonderful to get that experience because you don't have to act about how terrified you are to be in that scenario and how lost you kind of are as a teenage girl who is probably not going to survive longer than 10 minutes and, and just keep going. So I was um, very lucky to have very wonderful, patient castmates and uh, wonderful stunt choreographers in, in Scott and Steve who were really, really wonderful. It really was my A camera operator, Dave. I posted a photo yesterday of that day and I fully look airborne. I'm in these heeled boots, this big ruffled dress. And I am sprinting through this arena from my first day on set. Um, they did such an amazing job adapting it from the page to the screen because it is panic mode for real. You see the, um, the dimensions kind of shift in the camera work because it goes 
to IMAX. So the same way that they did in Catching Fire when she's lifted out of that tube and into this arena, and you see the world kind of get bigger around her, and it kind of looks almost fisheye, um, which is a, a like panic mode in in cinema speak, in my opinion. So um, it, it's just like this whirlwind that Francis had created for me to endure. Uh, I was terrified, but I felt very safe in, in the care of Dave, my eight camera operator, who was fully just kind of pushing me where I needed to go so that I didn't trip anybody so that I didn't get actually impaled by a prop and, you know, and just, just the care of my castmates, Dimitri Abold coming with me or coming out of at me with a machete, me ducking out of the way and Mackenzie Lansing replaced Coral with her trident. They were all so prepped that me being the last piece was probably the best thing they could have done. So that I just kind of fit right in and, and dodge, uh, dodge them for real. I love how much you referenced your camera operator and your focus puller. Just like never, never stop doing that. I just love when I get to talk to like actors that everybody knows, but they take the time to reference the folks behind the scenes who make all the difference on these sets. It's really so special. I love them. They, they make, they, I mean, I, I don't think they get nearly enough attention and, and credit for what they do. Um, on, this is on every movie of mine that my, my A camera operators in particular are really my allies because they're gonna make they're gonna make sure you look good, but they're also gonna make sure that you look like you know what you're doing because they are the geniuses behind a lot of this. Um, they have the closest conversation with your director and your cinematographer, and that was certainly the case on this movie, but on, on every movie I've done, they've all just been the most brilliant individuals. So, so true. All right. I have to let you go in a couple minutes. So I'm going to ask my one spoiler question. So I'm going to put up the spoiler warning for anybody who hasn't read the book or watched the movie. This is like the most spoilery question I could ask. So go watch it and then come back and and you can continue on. So Suzanne is the authority, of course, but now having lived in Lucy Gray's shoes for so long, what do you picture her doing after the events of this book, after this movie? How is she living life? And is it just like impossible for her not to want to return? Well, I like that you make the insinuation that she's alive. because Oh, I know better. that with certainty. Deep down, yeah. I know. I, I also know that. I, I can feel that she got away. She's so much more clever than anybody gives her credit for because... It's just one of those stories where the uh, where Coriolanus thinks that he's ahead of the game, and in reality, he's twelve steps behind her. Um, yeah, I mean, I like to think that she truly, just like the the bird and and Lucy Gray in the the poem that she sings, that she flies away, and that she she gets to be free the way she wanted to be. That she really did run like the others were planning to do and that what Sejanus wanted to do, that she was going to do that and carry out that deed in honor of somebody who couldn't escape Coriolanus like she could. Um, and it's not because Sejanus wasn't strong enough. It's just that his heart was too good. And and Lucy Grace isn't. She's a bit more, I, I believe she's, she's golden hearted, but I believe that she's got more of an edge than anybody else in, in the film does without having to actually be a bad person. Um, I, I, I believe that she believes in the good of humanity. And so she thinks she can probably either start again or just be free and, and hide. 
I hope we get to see the continuation of her story. I I don't know. I'm not I'm not in charge. I'm really I'm really hoping for that. I would love to see more. All right, I'll end our conversation with two questions about upcoming films. I know these are dangerous questions to ask because I don't know what you're allowed to say. So hopefully these are somewhat safe. I'll start with uh, with Snow White going into the filming of that movie. What quality of that character were you most looking forward to playing? But then also, what's a quality of hers that wound up emerging along the way that wound up being more creatively fulfilling to tap into than you ever could have imagined at the start? Yeah, absolutely. It's um, I, I was really excited when we were having conversations after I had gotten cast um, with Mark Webb and uh, with you know uh, Mark Platt and everybody involved with with the filmmaking process about her fearlessness and and her fearlessness that kind of stems from her kindness. Because in, in, in line with Lucy Gray, she believes in the inherent goodness of the people. And so through that kindness, she thinks, well, what could possibly hurt me? And therefore she's fearless. And so the, her, 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 um, her kindness and her compassion for those around her and all creatures leads her to not be afraid. Um, and we see it in the cartoon. So it's really nice to be able to bring that to the live action as well. Um, and then something that kind of emerged was this um, this leader within her that I was so happy the, the writers wanted her to be. Um, and and the fact that it, it's born out of her, her upbringing, but she finds it within herself throughout the course of the film and throughout the people that love her in the film and show their love for her. Um, Mark Webb and I kind of called it her third eye opening. And there's like a couple of scenes in there where she she's speaking like someone who's been alive for much longer than she has. And that's something that I relate to, something that I've been told all my life. And so getting to bring that to a character that I love so deeply and that I've spent so much time with now, it's it's a really amazing thing as an actor and, and as a performer. And, and I really I just I can't wait for people to, to get to see it. I'm psyched. I love the idea of fearlessness through kindness, too. All right. I promised I'd circle back to uh, Y2K because that ensemble is exceptional. I am so excited to see you all work together. (laughs) So this is like a little bit of an unfair question because (laughs) I feel like we don't have time to talk about everyone. But can you maybe pinpoint one scene partner you had in that movie that, I don't know, just blew your mind. You really appreciate it and you can't wait for audiences to see them crush it in that film. Oh my gosh. Well, it, oh, it's hard. <laughs> no. It's hard. It's, it's hard, especially because there's so little known about the plot. And I, and that's, what's amazing about it. And what people are going to love about it is how much it's going to surprise them. Um, Kyle is such a great director and, and working with him is, was so fun. And uh, I can't wait for people to see it. I do have a lot of scene work with uh, Jaden Martel um, from, from it. And, I know everyone already knows he's a star. I know this, but I I don't know how funny people know that he actually is. He's so funny. He's got great comedic timing. And since this is a Kyle Mooney production, there was a lot of ad-libbing that was welcomed into the film. So truly, I had a very hard time keeping it together in certain scenes with Jaden. Um, and I, I feel very lucky that I got to know him. In a, we were only together for, I think, like nine weeks of shooting, but it was an amazing experience. I loved it. I also got to shoot on uh, a scene on a bike on the street where I actually learned to ride a bike in New Jersey. 
And that was just like cool. And my mom was there. It was so cool. Like the whole experience was amazing. So I, I haven't seen it cut together yet, but I'm very, very excited. And I hope everybody else is too. I am very excited. I'll see anything you're in and in particular A24 movies or appointment viewing for me because there's always some sort of like unique vibe that they all have. And I don't know, they just make sure that the creative possibilities are endless in this industry, which is why I really appreciate them as a company. Absolutely. I also appreciate you taking the time to do this today. I love your work and I love Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. I don't know to anyone out there who's saying like, I don't know if I want to watch a Hunger Games prequel. I don't know if I could like wait so long and then jump back into that world. Trust me, you can. It continues the franchise in a really beautiful way. And it also serves as an on-ramp for newcomers. So no matter where you're coming from, you are covered. Rachel, congratulations. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This was wonderful. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.